what we should not forget is response and the recovery is important, but eventually when we learn more about what actually led to this disaster, we need to talk more about prevention. You're listening to The Lid Is On. I'm Connor Lennon. And that was Mami Mitsutori, who runs the UN Office for Disaster Risk Reduction, explaining the importance of risk prevention. The Beirut explosions of early August were a stark reminder that we all live under the shadow of a wide range of risks, both natural and man-made. For several years, the UN's been working closely with the international community to try to reduce all manner of risks, some of which pose a serious threat to human life. In 2015, the nations of the world adopted the Sendai Framework, a landmark international treaty aimed at reducing many of these risks, from the transportation of dangerous goods to climate change to pandemics. The UN Office for Disaster Risk Reduction is tasked with overseeing the implementation of the treaty, and Ms. Mitsutori explains to me that the Beirut explosions clearly demonstrate the importance of putting disaster risk management at the heart of national policymaking. She began by describing how she and her team reacted to the news of the deadly and unprecedented, but not unforeseeable, explosions at the Beirut port on the 4th of August. It came across to us as a tragic uh, issue, of course, because the explosion itself, as uh, we learn more and more the level of the catastrophe, the mortality, the people um, uh, stranded, injured... Uh, and also issues such as a food shortage, uh, it is becoming a, a terrible disaster. And what is um, more um, compelling is the fact that Lebanon, as in the case of many countries, was already struggling very much uh, in its response to COVID-19, uh, not only in terms of uh, uh, coping with the public health disaster, but also the socioeconomic consequences. And now, of course, what has happened is that with all the, the injured people, uh, the public health system is under enormous strain. So uh, so we do look at this as something, um, as unfortunately a stark reminder that um, disasters uh, don't take turns to strike us. We are basically surrounded by so many different types of risks, but uh, importantly, risks which are connected and their impacts are connected as well. So um, that is something that we are seeing. And I do strongly express my solidarity with the Lebanon people. And really, the international community is doing as much as it can to support the government and the people. But um, I can see that um, they need as much support as necessary. Um, and what we should not forget is the current response and the recovery is important, but eventually uh, when uh, we learn more about what actually led to this disaster, we need to talk more about prevention um, because technological hazard uh, such as this one is also part of the Sendai framework for disaster risk reduction. Uh, it is one of the hazards that we do, uh, uh, we meaning the member states of the United Nations, have included in the list of hazards that need to be uh, focused in order to reduce the risks and also, uh, importantly, not to erode the development gains. Would you mind just very briefly explaining in layman's terms right. what the Sendai framework is and why it's important? 
So the Sendai framework for disaster risk reduction was adopted in 2015, along with many important global agreements uh, which were adopted that year. Sendai framework, the essence is, okay, uh, we need to change the focus of our attention to disaster from responding to them later. Uh, we need to change the focus to uh, changing our behavior so that we can mitigate, reduce the risks that comes from disasters before they strike so that there is less mortality from disasters, there is less affected people, there is less economic loss, and importantly, so that sustainable development can be achieved. My sense is that the explosion in Beirut awakened people to this reality that there are dangerous goods being transported all the time, dangerous goods being held at ports, harbors around the world all the time, and maybe wondering, What's the chance this is going to happen again? Do you have any way of evaluating the likelihood of a similar explosion happening in another port around the world? That's a very delicate question. I don't want to try to be uh, the prophet, but what I can say uh, is, um, so a port um, is a critical infrastructure and uh, transportation is a basic service that keeps you know, um, our lives and livelihood going on. And what uh, if we do not see enough risk governance in this area, as in any other area, uh, the likelihood of what you mentioned can be uh, bigger. What I mean from this is that A, when you construct a port, uh, you need to first construct the port in a way that it um, uh, looks into all the different uh, risks that it can be um, facing. So, of course, uh, extreme weather events is one thing, but of course, uh, as you say, uh, many different types of goods are brought into the um, port, right? So you need to look into that to, to make sure that the physical um, infrastructure of a port is uh, good enough. But more importantly, you need to have robust rules and regulations around how a port is operated. And that's uh, around, you know, um, how uh, dangerous substances are stored. But also, very importantly, the government has to invest in bringing in um, the right people who will uh, actually implement these rules and regulations. Many times, um, uh, rules and regulations around resilience, around risk, are not implemented. A very easy example is building codes. Uh, many countries do have building codes, especially the countries uh, which are prone to earthquake, let's say. But the problem is that um, the implementation is not uh, robust enough. So uh, you have uh, uh, rules and regulations on paper, but if they're not implemented, um, that's not good enough. But in order to implement it, you need uh, to invest in the uh, personnel. Uh, to, you need to invest in a structure that will ensure that. So that is something that needs to be done. And if that is not going to be done, then um, we will see uh, uh, more technological um, hazards turning into disasters, whether it's at a port or whether it's at a mine. Um, it could happen in many places, big industrial facilities, um, nuclear power plants. Um, technological disaster is something that... Uh, 
in, in this day of age, uh, many countries, many cities face. And the issue is, uh, many times, these um, facilities which do um, have uh, the potential of becoming the epicenter of a disaster are not that isolated from where people live. Um, this has been seen in Lebanon as well, hasn't it? Uh, there are people living around these places. There are communities around these places. Um, and that is another thing that we also need to look at. You know, um, where do we build our houses? Where do we uh, establish our communities? Um, is the um, informal way of urbanization happening? Is it bringing the people too close to these potentially uh, dangerous facilities? Um, because even though you have robust rules and regulations, and even if they are implemented in a robust way, there is always a danger of an accident, right? Um, so uh, the another prevention measure that we need to take is uh, how far do you uh, distance uh, these facilities from places where people actually are? So there's a lot of aspects into it, but... Um, what we're talking about essentially is risk governance. And if risk governance is not in there, um, accidents, uh, tragedies, disasters that we have seen, or we are seeing right now, um, will not stop. So if you're presented with a case where you see that there are severe problems which could potentially cause a major disaster, what is the process? We are what we call a normative organization within the United Nations. We don't sort out individual concrete issues. What we do is that we support the member states so that they have a, a system, a structure within their governance to deal with uh, disaster risk reduction. And what this means is that um, one of the targets of the Sendai framework, there are seven global targets, and one of them, which is the most important one in my mind, is that the national and local governments must have their own strategy uh, for disaster risk reduction, actually by the end of this year. And so this should be the foundation of the risk governance of a country, and we support uh, the member states to have this national strategy in place. Uh, so each country should look at historically what has been their um, disaster laws. They also have to look into how much will their country be um, impacted by climate, um, among other things. How much is their country going to grow? Uh, because economic growth comes with uh, more exposure. The more buildings you have, the more people you have, um, then um, the um, level of catastrophe can be bigger. But then you also have to look at what, where are the vulnerabilities? Where are the people who are living with more less income? Where are the people who have disabilities living? Um, and then, of course, women and children um, are like, you know, the, the more vulnerable people. So where are they and how can we protect them? Um, so each country has to look into these issues and create their own strategy, uh, importantly, bringing in the voices of the communities and the vulnerable people, and and then put money into that strategy, which means to have a well-established 
National Disaster Management Agency, which is not isolated but connected to all the other sectoral ministries so that risk is in the policy of each sector and they work together. Ideally, it should be uh, there should be a unit um, at a very high political level under the head of the state or uh, cabinet um, office so that they can take charge of um, of putting prevention at the center of a government's policy and importantly putting budget into it. Many countries don't put budget into their um, prevention because it's very difficult, isn't it? it? When a disaster strikes, they have to respond. You can't just leave it there. You have to put money in there. But putting money into something that might happen once every 100 years, once every 50 years, once every 30 years, um, convincing the people that we should do it is not easy. And we support the governments in doing this by helping them uh, make their uh, strategies. But we also provide um, work with scientists and technology uh, so that there is proof that investing in prevention pays off. We all live with risk every day. And when something like this catastrophe happens, we perhaps become more more aware of it and it can it can be quite unsettling. You are someone who is probably more aware of global risks than anyone else. What would your advice be for living with the inherent risk that we all face? We need to persuade the government and ultimately each one of us that we cannot um, turn a blind eye to the fact that we are surrounded by risk. And the fact that the risk is now systemic, systemic in the sense that uh, they're all connected. One risk leads to another, like what we've seen in Lebanon, but many, in many other countries around COVID as well. And that the impacts are cascading. Um, so uh, just you know, uh, putting your neck in the sand like an ostrich is not going to help. Uh, we need to um, understand that uh, yes, uh, that uh, we live in a in a very sophisticated um, uh, time where um, that where there are you know a lot of um, merits benefits from the the globalization, the way that you know supply chains of um, our trade, you know our, our food comes from the other part of the world and whatnot. But once you know a disaster of magnitude like COVID nineteen happens, um, then it will um, uh, it will ruin um, our lives. And not only you know like COVID nineteen, but natural hazards as well. Um, we see that you know the the frequency the intensity of um, extreme weather events is only getting um, bigger. Um, The next catastrophe will be climate emergency if we don't deal with it. Um, So uh, we do need to, um, A, um, prevent um, so that making, so that we can make the risk as mitigated as possible, but then we also have to look into the root causes. And that's why climate emergency is so important. That's why, inequality has to really be um, dealt with because as long as you know we can't um, eradicate poverty there is a big risk in that uh, to start with a uh, look at all the risk you have around you and try to prevent it as much as possible but also at the same time uh, work on the root causes that's what we need to do and and admit that we are surrounded by risks and change your behavior it's easy to say it's not <laughs> easy to do Prevention is not in the nature of, our, uh, of ourselves, is it? Just think about our own health. We know that you know we do a lot of things that are not good for us, right? 
uh, for better with prevention, we wouldn't be doing it. But that's who we are as humans. But, um, but we need to change this. You've been listening to The Lid is On, the flagship podcast from UN News. I'm Connor Lennon, and that was Mami Mitsutori, who runs the UN Office for Disaster Risk Reduction. You'll find many more news stories, features, and interviews on our website, news.un.org. And you can find our podcasts and interviews on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, among other platforms.